0: Good evening everyone. Amen. Merry Christmas to you. Christmas. So glad to see all of you have gathered together as we've gathered together as a family of faith to celebrate our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I hope you have had a wonderful holiday season so far and I hope tonight helps to bring all that together and accentuate why we have gathered and why we celebrate. So as we begin tonight let me invite you to stand as we sing together several of our Christmas carols.
1: Well, um, Our first song will be Heart the Herald Angels Sing, and then we'll sing What Child Is This? and we'll sing all three verses of each hymn. Okay. It's hymn 192. <clears throat> 98, for those of you who use the hymn books.
2: Good evening. I'm going to read from Genesis chapter uh, twenty-two, verse eighteen. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. From second Samuel Samuel chapter seven, verse sixteen. And your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever.
1: From Isaiah, verses 14 and 15. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse evil and choose the good.
2: From Isaiah 9, 2 through 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace.
3: Jeremiah 31, 31 31-34. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach again each man his neighbor, and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more.
1: He took his wife, but knew not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus.
4: Luke 2, 1 through 21. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherd returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb.
1: I Join us as we sing O come, O come Emmanuel.
0: right for us to focus our minds, or or really to allow the Scripture to focus our minds as we celebrate the Christmas holiday together. So I want to speak to you a few moments, and really to us, from 1 John chapter 4. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4, that's where I'll speak from. And I just want to speak on a few verses, and I want to call our attention to the reason for Christmas, that the reason we celebrate the baby in a manger, that what do we see when we see the babe in the manger? In First John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, John writes these words. He says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world. So that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Well, the thing I want us to take away from these two verses tonight is this. That in the birth and life of Jesus Christ, we see the particular love of God made plain. That we see the eternal love of God that was promised from the beginning, that is the theme of the whole Bible, we see it made plain in the birth of Jesus Christ, and that love which is made plain is the salvation of God's people from their sins. Well, for the next few moments, I just want to break down the verse phrase by phrase so that we think deeply on this verse. John writes, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world. When he asks first, what is the love of God that John speaks of? We see John wants us to see something about God's nature. God wants us to see something specific about God, and namely, that's that God is essentially love. Now, we're living in a culture that loves that phrase, God is love. And they would also change it to say, love of any form is what God is about. And that's not the case, because what John wants us to see is that there is a particular form of love that he's speaking of. Love comes from God, not that God is loving, which he is, but God is, in his nature, love itself. You see, if God was just loving, we could understand what love is without having God in the equation. Because something else could be loving. God could be loving. You could be loving. But God is essential to that word love. And so we can't understand love without understanding God. And John is bringing that to our attention, that in the birth and life of Jesus Christ, that most essential character of God is made plain. Well, he says he's made manifest, that this love of God was made manifest among us. That word manifest is not a word that we use much anymore, but it means this. If I'm going to make something manifest, I'm going to make it clear or to make it obvious. I'm going to make it seen in such a way to where it's unmistakable. And so God's love was made clear or God's love was made most obvious to the world in the sending of his son. And so John says, God is love and that's essential to who he is, that God's love has been made Plain, that that is perfectly clear because of what he's done. And he says, it is in his only son that we see that. See, the way in which John has written this passage draws attention to this phrase, his only son. It's his one and only son John would have us remember. If you remember back to John's gospel in John 316 it says that God sent his only begotten son that Jesus is from God and so John is highlighting the uniqueness of King Jesus he's not average nor is he just a special person Jesus according to what John is saying is the divine eternal son of God And so Jesus, in the birth of Jesus, in the life of Jesus, in the death and resurrection of Jesus, we are seeing God being revealed. Well, he goes on, in this, the love of God was made manifest that God sent his only son. God sent. Perhaps you've heard the word apostle. The word apostle means a sent one one who's been given a a mission or a commission to go and carry it out. And when John writes this, he says, quite literally, God has given Jesus apostleship into the world, that he has commissioned Jesus to come into the world for a purpose that God sent him, that's a part of God making his love plain, making his love obvious to us, is that God sent his one and only son into the world. And that's the place and the location of Jesus' mission. John is breaking this down for us in a very clear way, that when we come to celebrate Christmas, he wants us to know what it is exactly that we are celebrating. That God's love was made plain, that it was made obvious when Jesus Christ, the only eternal begotten Son of God, came into the world to carry out the mission of God. And so when we consider these manger scenes, which are right and appropriate, when we see the baby in the manger, what we should have in our minds is that that baby in the manger had the most important commission... That any person has ever had. Because while Jesus was a person, he was fully man. He also was, at the same time, fully God. And so when Mary laid him in that manger, she was laying in that manger the commissioned son of God who made plain, who made obvious God's love. Well, John goes on. He says that... In the sending of Christ into the world, God's love is made plain, but it's for a purpose. He says, and that purpose is so that we might live through him. So that we might have life through this one and only son of God, this son that has come into the world to carry out the mission of God. Well, that phrase, we might live, so that we might live, what he means is that we might have life. That we might have true life. And that such life comes only in and through the forgiveness of our sins. You see, when God said that he sent Jesus into the world with a mission, that mission is spelled out in the Bible. We don't have to wonder, what was Jesus coming to do? Jesus himself said on a number of occasions that he's come to forgive the sins of mankind. You heard T.J. read just a moment ago from Matthew that even his name, Jesus, means that he was coming for the forgiveness of sins. And so that phrase, so that we might have life, the implication is we will not have life apart from the forgiveness of our sins. You might be thinking tonight, "Why well, I have life. I am alive right now. I might have an abundant life, in my opinion. I have joys, I have comforts, I have wants that I can meet, I have desires that I can meet. I don't sense a lot of wanting life that I don't have apart from Jesus. And what we find, brothers and sisters, what we find in the pages of Scripture is that there are a lot of false desires in the world. There are a lot of false pleasures in the world. There are a lot of false hopes in the world that can so easily distract us that we can so easily go after and give ourselves to where we totally lose sight of what actual genuine life is. Sometimes we think life is found in the pursuit of worldly things. things, Sometimes we think abundant life is found in having a lot of things. Maybe it's a lot of possessions. Maybe it's a lot of prestige. Maybe it's a lot of creature comforts. And what the Bible says is while the world does contain good things, there's nothing in the world that can save us. There's nothing in the world that can ultimately satisfy us. And so knowing that, Knowing that not only is there nothing in the world to save and ultimately satisfy us, knowing that there's nothing in the world that can satisfy the deepest need of mankind, which is the forgiveness of our sins, God sends Jesus so that we might have life. Well, not only do we have life, it says we have life through him. See, life is not found. God doesn't bless us and say, go live however you want to. God doesn't say, I forgive you of your sins. Now go and do as you please. God forgives us of our sins through Jesus Christ and frees us into life in and through him. So whereas we are freed from slavery to the world, we are freed into obedience to Jesus Christ. Sometimes we think commands are oppressive. Sometimes we think if I have to obey something, it's not really going to be enjoyable. And what God says is, no, I've come that you might have life, that you might have abundant life, and that abundant life is found nowhere except in following Jesus Christ. And so John goes on in verse 10. He says, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Well, that phrase, not that we have loved God. John's very particular with that. He's drawing our attention to something very clear. God's love is primary, not ours. We don't celebrate Christmas because we decided to love God. We don't have forgiveness of our sins because we decided to ask God for forgiveness. We don't have forgiveness of our sins because we asked God to send Jesus. On the contrary, it works the other way. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us. You see, our natural condition or our natural stance before God is one of opposition. The Bible is painfully clear about this in a number of places. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes, And we were dead in our trespasses and sins, following the course of the world, following Satan, is what the Bible says. In Romans chapter 3, Paul says, No one does good, no one seeks for God. You know what that means? It means no one on their own seeks for God. We don't need to over uh, think it. Paul was trying to communicate something to us very clear, very plainly. Until God works the gospel in us, we don't even want him. And so that's why John says not that we loved God, but that he first loved us. And so in contradiction or or to in opposition to our hard heartedness, God loves us. God takes the initiative to love us and to save us. And so in Ephesians 2, Paul says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And then in verse four, it changes. But God made you alive together with Christ. What do we do? We die in our sins what does god do by the grace of the gospel god makes us alive together with christ and then he says by grace you have been saved through faith for through faith and this is a gift of god so that we cannot boast Well, God loved us, and he first loved us. He took the initiative to love, and the object of his saving love is us, that God first loved us, that Christ came in pursuit of us, his people. And in order to do that, he reminds us once again that he sent his only son. This is a display of love. How does God communicate to you and I that we are objects of his love He sent his son. When we read of Genesis 22, when Abraham is about to sacrifice Isaac, the son whom he loved, his only son, we feel the tension of a father having to sacrifice his son, and it feels wrong. It feels painful. It feels unimaginable. And so when we come and read this verse that God sent his only son, he is displaying his great love for his people. And in this we find the definition of love because love is always demonstrated by action. If someone says, I love you, you want to believe them and you want to trust them, but if someone demonstrates their love to you, then you know without beyond a shadow of a doubt that that person does in fact love you. And so God has demonstrated his love to us, he's made it plain so that we might know it and it is through Jesus being The propitiation for our sins. Now that word, propitiation, is an incredibly important word in the Bible. We don't say it much. It's kind of hard to say. But it is rich and it is full and it is the meaning of Christmas. You see, propitiation means a satisfying sacrifice, that we owed a debt of sin against God and it had to be satisfied. And the only way that I can satisfy my debt of sin against God is an eternity in hell. And yet Jesus Christ on the cross becomes my propitiation or he becomes my satisfying sacrifice in my place. You see, when Jesus became the propitiation, what he did on the cross was to exhaust the eternal wrath of God. And so God had a wrath against sin that is eternal, that's immeasurable, inexhaustible. And yet on the cross, Jesus exhausted the wrath of God for his people. It doesn't make logical sense in our minds. How can something that is infinite be exhausted You see, it wasn't just the physical pain that Jesus dealt with on the cross. It was the infinite wrath of God that was poured onto him in six hours. And in the span of six hours, Jesus Christ exhausted the wrath of God against the sins of his people. And so not only did he send his only son to be the propitiation, he sent him to be that for our sins. Jesus propitiates our sins. The babe in the manger will become the atoning sacrifice for the people of God. And so when we read those verses, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he first loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Here's what we need to take away. First, we need to see that God's love is what initiated the sending of Jesus. We celebrate Christmas because God took the initiative to come after us and to rescue us and to save us and to free us into abundant life in him. That it was God's love and not ours. But secondly, we need to see that God sent Jesus so that we might have abundant life in and through him. Let's achieve through the forgiveness of our sins, which is what Jesus offers everyone who trusts in him by faith. There is no life found apart from Jesus Christ. Although we try, we try to our best abilities to find life apart from him. And he says there's no life found apart from him. There's no life found apart from the dealing with sin and having and finding forgiveness in and through Jesus Christ. And that phrase, abundant life, it's so important to John. If you read his gospel or any of the three letters that he wrote, four letters. Abundant life is so very important because what he had come to experience, what John the apostle had come to experience, was that abundant life was there, was that fullness of life was available. And brothers and sisters, fullness of life is available. See, Christmas is not bound up in the decorations. Christmas is not bound up in the gift giving. Christmas is bound up in the mission of the baby in the manger. It's about celebrating the advent or the appearing of Jesus because in him we see the love of God for us. Jesus came to deal with our sin that we might have abundant life both now and forever with him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you because in and through your life, your death and your triumphant resurrection, Lord, we see the love of God made plain for us. Lord, as we have come to celebrate Christmas, I pray that we have come with a heart that is oriented towards you, that's turned toward you, that we might praise you in all that we do. Lord, we do thank you for the traditions and the decor and the gifts and everything that has come to be celebrated at this time of year. But Father, let us not lose sight of what is most essential that we are celebrating the making plain of your saving love in and through Jesus Christ. Father, we have gathered in your name. We have gathered to worship. And as we sing now, Father, I pray that we sing as a gift of worship to you. I pray these things in your holy name. Amen. As we close uh, with a song. Uh, We're going to sing an a cappella, and we're going to sing it by candlelight. And so we'll be passing the light up the aisle. And let that be a reminder that this is how the message of the gospel spreads. That as God has saved me, and that I give testament to others, so the gospel goes forward. Let's stand and sing. So. pray. Lord, we love you. We praise you. Lord, I pray that tonight is a sacred time as we celebrate the coming. You celebrate your birth. We celebrate your appearing, the making plain of the love of God. As we go about our, our family celebrations, Lord, I pray that you would be with us as we, as we meet and as we celebrate. Lord, I pray for those who are hurting, that you would comfort them with a special measure of grace. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We pray these things in your holy name. Amen.